two major ways to overcome a cookie-less world and, and where it's going is incrementality, things like holdout tests, looking at the effect of that. Because at the end of the day, when you're influxing spend from a platform, you want to see your top line revenue grow, right? You want to do that efficiently. And then the other side is media mix modeling, which is progression modeling. That's where the platforms are mainly going. We're starting to see multi-touch attribution tools, not only rely on first party data, but rely on regression modeling, looking at historics and using that to better assign performance. Make sure that you're adding your customer match lists, make sure that you're transitioning into enhanced conversions using data-driven conversion attribution. Make sure that you're installing analytics for your website like today. Imperfect Foods, Instacart, Nespresso, and Coach all use Coley to generate TikTok videos that are on brand, on budget, and on time. As one of TikTok's first creative partners, Coley has the track record, know-how, and tools to help you TikTok your way to short-form glory. And now you can tap into that exclusive expertise with Coley's TikTok Creative Brief template. It has all the steps you need for successful creator collaborations and best practices to create fun and engaging TikToks. Head to coley.com slash TikTok to download your free copy and start creating TikToks for your brand that people actually want to watch. That's C-O-H-L-E-Y dot com slash TikTok. Hello and welcome. It's all killer, no filler. I'm Eric. It is Thursday today, and I'm here with Saul and Taylor from our Google Ads and Facebook Meta teams, respectively, to talk a little bit further about where we're at right now in the timeline of, let's call it, privacy-centric tracking, because I know that's what Google calls it. Uh, you can also call it the cookie-pocalypse um, if you want something a little bit more catchy. But Saul, let's start with you. Where where do you where are we at right now in the uh, in the cookie apocalypse? Where are we? Well, I mean, there's already a bunch of browsers that don't allow cookie uh, third party cookie tracking at all. You know, everyone knows about Firefox. Edge actually doesn't either. Chrome is a, it's going to block all third party cookies by this time next year. So you have to get ready now. Okay. If 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 you're gonna be you know avoiding the cookie apocalypse like you call it and kind of have like the same the same sort of panic that we have with iOS 14 and, and Meta. I was just looking at the timelines and I just I was I was just looking at the Google presentation that we recently received uh, around what they're working on in this arena mm. and I was just looking at the timeline. It was like Facebook said, okay, we're making our changes to iOS, you know, w with iOS 14.5, and it all happened in like a year and it's like boom done. Whereas Google's allowed to like extend their window, I guess, right? Because they own the ecosystem; they weren't reliant on Apple in the same way, so they've been able to like draw things out. And and what I'm really interested in is the solution that they're coming up with. And, and I think that's a real luxury that, that Google's had versus Facebook, where Facebook's just like, boom, sink or swim, make these changes and deal with it. Whereas Google's, you know, in this big exploratory phase. Um, but Taylor, you're saying that Facebook is obviously, you know, working frantically to come up with tracking solutions as well. What are, what are you hearing from uh, the meta side of things? Yeah, so right now, I mean, I'm sure a lot of brands listening to this are probably feeling the the challenges of just being in a bit of like an, an eye of the storm right now with it still being this kind of transitionary period. You know, it's been a year since everything got updated uh, within Meta following iOS 14.5. And we're still seeing, it varies brand to brand. Um, a lot of it depends on customer journey and how the modeling is, is impacted by the customer journey and, and the nature of the product and, and offering as well. 
Um, so some see see really great stuff with it, but then some also see you know maybe an overattributing to potentially retargeting or uh, like less uh, more decay in terms of the value that's likely being driven by parts of the funnel like top of funnel and et cetera, et cetera. So brand to brand, it's it's varied. Uh, it's been really cool to see a lot of different solutions emerge more to the forefront of of brands' minds when they're looking at solving in this midterm. But even we just got word that Meta wants to interview uh, people from Pilot House as a as part of a, a process for getting feedback on their current suite of attribution and measurement tools. So, so there's some interesting stuff happening, probably something in the works there, but um, a little bit too early to, to tell at this time. Nice. And then I know Google's put a little bit more out on what they're planning to do to, to mitigate a cookie-less future. Saul, what are you most excited about and what are you most focused on um, in terms of what they're rolling out or what they're planning? Basically, the fact that Google has laid out in a very structured way what we have to do to be ready and what they're doing on their end makes us optimistic about what's coming. Um, basically, what Google has been using or will be using is divided into three components. Um, one of them is collect data, as much data as we can right now, measure that data using the all of their systems, right? Google has more engineers than NASA, and right now with their conversion modeling, data-driven attribution, enhanced conversions, those three things, they're going to be modeling the future so that when there's a cookie-less environment in Chrome, Google would go like seamlessly into it because of all the modeling that's taking place and all the machine learning that's taking place now and then activate that information, right? So right now, if you want to be ready uh, and use Google solutions, um, like I said, they, they're giving you all the tools. So just you, you got to make sure that you're using them and following those three things, right? Collect that data using first-party data. So whatever consumers, buyers, um, email addresses, that kind of stuff, give them value for it so that you can get that data in a consensual way and, and you can use it and, and people know what they're getting for their personal data. Over 48% of consumers, I think they stopped buying from a brand because they, they, they weren't aware of how their data was being used. So be very upfront about it. Then use all the tools that Google is using uh, and giving you, right? Enhanced conversions, conversion modeling, data-driven attribution, and Google Analytics 4. If you haven't transitioned to Google Analytics for this month, you're not going to have a full year of data on your Google Anal Analytics account because it's getting Google Universal Analytics is getting degraded next year of around the same time that cookie-less Chrome is happening. So that's a way of getting into cookie-pocalypse, like you're calling it. If you're not ready, if you're not using the tools. Um, and then once you have those tools and you've, you've collected your data, you're using enhanced conversions, conversion modeling, et cetera, then use it. Like actually use Google audiences, smart bidding. Uh, there's no reason for you to, to use manual bidding, that kind of stuff. So Remind me what enhanced conversions are. So enhanced conversions... There's there's basically four tools that Google is using on the artificial intelligence and modeling side of things. Enhanced conversions basically match um, a purchase, let's say, or a lead from a consumer to their data. So it can be either their phone number, their email address, um, their address in some cases, uh, all with consent, of course. And then for those people that Google matches that information, it helps Google get that first person information and model it against other people where we don't have that information. 
So that's what Enhanced Conversions does. It just gives Google more information about a certain purchase so that they can then use it, turn around and use it in other purchases and use the artificial intelligence to model conversions overall. So that the attribution- And, and the just to walk that, that through, just to walk that through. So that would mean, okay, so you, you give your first party data, you make a purchase and say you behaved a certain way on the ad, you clicked a certain link, you behaved a certain way on the website. So then because you have that first party data, um, Google can then use your entire customer experience kind of, or, you know, how you behave during your, your, your CX, you know, in order to model future conversions down the road based on your experience. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what happens. That's interesting. And so, so modeling is just like, I, I you know, Taylor, how, how is, you know, cause I know that Facebook has gone to a model, uh, right off the bat, they were forced into the fire where they had to start going with uh, a modeling, you know, instead of reporting on conversions, they had to model conversions. How, what's your synopsis right now of where Meta's modeling is at? Yeah, I mean, I would say like the general takeaway from the a lot of the media buyers I've spoken to and from my experience on the platform is it's improved since it first rolled out, but we're still seeing varied results brand to brand, really dependent on that customer journey. One brand uh, I work with, which has more of a premium product, longer customer window at times. There we see typically more, more attribution to retargeting. And we use some other tools there as well to, to measure and do modeling beyond that. And we typically see those vary further than, than what Meta is currently shows. So it depends. Um, I'm still seeing gaps in places, but I'd expect it to keep getting stronger, right? Because Google's been doing it for a long time and we know um, how robust that, that modeling has been. And uh, Meta is still still pretty new to it, but you know they're they're going to be working hard at, at trying to get that back because at the end of the day, it costs them them money on the platform when you don't see the results you're you're hoping for. For any listeners out there who are in the beginning stage of their marketing career, I think the simplest application you can think of for cookies is retargeting. And so the amount of times that you've been, you know, retargeted by a product maybe that you've already bought, or maybe you you have an abandoned cart and you're going to see ads. Um, for for that brand, retargeting is the is the easiest thing you can kind of conceive of that you'll lose in a cookie-less environment without any sort of mitigating factors. So, can you tell me, Saul, how how is Google planning on retargeting in a cookie-less environment? So, it goes back to that first-party data and getting ready for the cookie-less environment through first-party data. A little bit of what they're doing for the conversion modeling. So, what what do they do uh, on conversion modeling? For example, they they First, they look at the groups, right? And they partition groups that they can see the link to the conversion and groups of people that they can't see the link on the conversions. And then they group them by characteristics. And then they look at the conversion rates amongst those groups. That's how they can model. And they say like, okay, well, these people with these characteristics, we saw four of them, we did see the link between the ad and the conversion. Four of them, we didn't, but these people have the same characteristics. We can um, sort of assume from thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, data points, um, that this is a conversion rate for this subgroup of people. And that's how conversions are modeled. Um, just going back a little bit to what you were talking about. Um, and then the same thing will happen with uh, retargeting for each particular brand. If you're getting ready with first-party data now, then what, what what's going to happen is the artificial intelligence is going to make sure that uh, it, it understands what your consumer is and it will be able to model those audiences in the future especially if you keep those audiences refreshed and on the customer match side, for example, or if you have deployed enhanced conversions, that also helps you with retargeting because 
once you have that first party data from people that actually purchased, then you can use that into modeling your subgroups of people that didn't purchase. Interesting. So I, I see that Google's retargeting solution and they're calling Fledge, but essentially it's just another it's just another skin on machine learning through data matching. Yeah, exactly. iOS 14.5, the infamous Apple update left D2C brands struggling to find and market to the right audiences. That's why hundreds of D2C brands are turning to Black Crow AI. Their plug and play machine learning technology measures in real time every visitor's likelihood to buy to build predictive audiences for retargeting and prospecting. In short, Black Crow can significantly boost ROAS by helping you specifically target people who will actually want to buy from you. Find out why brands like Magic Spoon, Barabee, and Liquid IV are using Black Crow AI. Visit blackcrow.ai to learn more and request a 30-day free trial. Back to, to, to Meta for a second here, Taylor. How is, has retargeting, you know, with the loss of data fidelity, knowing where people are in the funnel over, especially over products that have like longer purchase considerations, time periods, has remarketing taken a big hit in terms of effectiveness from before the iOS 14.5? Uh, yeah, again, it likely case by case, but I would say that's probably not the major impact the, or, or takeaway from following iOS. Um, you know, we're still using custom audiences and, and feeding that data in and, and retargeting accordingly and, and typically seeing those campaigns perform quite well. Um, I'd say the biggest thing has been more the decay around the way that you're able to measure data, the fact that Facebook often ends up with a, a multi-day conversion lag, so, so we see a flood of conversions come in at a time when we know that those are probably from previous, uh, the fact that we see typically more gap between like a, you know, the campaign attributed conversions in GA versus Facebook, um, that's typically the bigger challenge that I think most most media buyers are, are working to overcome, and that that really affects typically from what I've seen more at the top, but it can affect the full funnel. And um, there are some some practices and various tools and opportunities we've been using to, to overcome those uh, quite strongly, I'd say, in the follow to, from that time. Tell us, what what are what are the best mitigating uh, tools and technologies that we're using? Yeah, so Saul did a great job explaining modeling. Um, I think the big thing to think about is there are these pillars to, to data and attribution. So uh, you've got, you know, multi-touch attribution, which is, Typically, what a Facebook campaign ad set ad level report would show you, uh, historically, that's used uh, cookies to connect user journeys and, and stitch at that level. And then you've got where the industry's gone. I know we've spoken about this on, on other episodes of the podcast, but two major uh, ways to overcome a cookie-less world and, and where it's kind of going is incrementality. So things like holdout tests looking at the effect of that. Because at the end of the day, when you're influxing spend from a platform, you want to see your top line revenue grow, right? You want to do that efficiently. That's what we're ultimately trying to measure. And that's what incrementality does. So if we stop running ads in this very structured way of doing so, how does that affect things? If we influx traffic, how does that affect uh, ways of doing so? And there, there are tools out there, some established ones, some newer ones on the market that are doing a pretty good job of uh, providing that value. And then the other side is media mix modeling, which is regression modeling. I think that's where the platforms are mainly going. We're starting to see multi-touch attribution tools, not only rely on stitching first party data, but rely on some of the modeling, regression modeling, like looking at historics and and uh, and using that to, to better assign uh, performance. Um, we're seeing more of those tools start to do that too. So there's this whole world that's, I'd say, was already there in a lot of ways, but became more prominent because of this this challenge. And 
brands can even try to build their own models too, right? Like we use post-purchase surveys with a lot of the brands we work with and we highly recommend them. You can add a question like, how did you hear about brand name? And then, you know, you'll get a certain response rate, but you're able to build your own models looking at that. Like what was the first touch impact based on a long period of survey data? What was the last touch impact? There are some cool tools out there that, that can also uh, help with that too. So the future is consented. The future is modeled and the future is cookie-less. It's such an interesting time where I feel like we came up with the solution to achieve all of these things, and it, it, it made sense at the time. So your point about people being, like, making purchase decisions and being very cognizant of how their data is used, I don't know if it's just because I'm a marketer, but I just feel like there's so many things to worry about in the world. Like, I am, I have always been less worried about my personal data online. I, I think that that could bite me, uh, you know, at some point in the future. But it seems like we're just having to build this huge architecture around this other relatively simple solution. And I guess ultimately it's keeping it um, fully consented. It's keeping it fully anonymized so this data isn't out there. I think my question is, do you think like all of this work that's going into modeling because we can no longer use this simple solution, do you think it's going to move the industry forward uh, and actually produce positive outcomes on the other side of it? Or like, or do you think it's just like eventually we'll just be like, oh man, we'll just go back to cookies? No, I think we have the technology now. Um, like I said, <laughs> Google has more engineers than NASA and, 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 um, together with like Taylor was just saying, Meta is already also working on, on solutions. I feel pretty confident that the modeling, the artificial intelligence that's being delivered is, is going to lay the groundwork to just basically have a solution for, um, first of all, attribution, uh, which feeds the artificial intelligence, which feeds, uh, you know, the efficiency in your advertising and then targeting. So um, if you know where sales are coming from, if you can attribute them correctly and you can model those populations, then you can probably model those other audiences and retargeting audiences. So I, I, I don't think there's going to, there, there's a there's a way back. I think we're just all moving into the next best thing, which is still, you're still going to be able to do all of that targeting. It's just a, a more, let's call it ethical way of getting it. And I think about it, like if, if they're building all of this effort into modeling, it's going to allow them to model all aspects of the ad. And, and to the point where I'm, you know, I, it's not on the horizon yet that, you know, we're, the media buyers are being replaced. This is still a system that requires input and ingenuity on our side. But if they're modeling everything, um, you know, eventually they're going to want to be able to just model the ads, right? Where you just put your brand in and it'll create your campaign for you automatically. Do you ever see that being a future? We're already starting to see signs of that, I'd say, on the, the meta side. There's this uh, major opportunity with Advantage Plus, which is a suite of tools they're, uh, they're working on. And I know there's it's some accounts have early access to it, and some are it's going to be rolled out bro more broadly in the coming future. But with those, those ads and campaigns, it's very much like, basically, it, it tries to take the top assets in your ad account and run with them. And then just, it's a pretty broad, open-style creator process with it. And that's a direction that Meta has has invested some some time in. So I think we're already starting to see that. But I also, at the end of the day, I think there's still a huge strategic element there, right? Like uh, with those types of tools, we've seen those not always perform in the past the way that we want to, or ultimately aim for those exact results that we know we want to want to achieve as media buyers. So that's my take on it. But anything to add there, Saul? No, same, same. I mean, um, how many times we've had smart campaigns or, or that kind of stuff on Google that, that hasn't really performed the way that 
that it was intended from the beginning. Right now, Google has Performance Max. We're seeing good results in some campaigns, some accounts, and, and not so good results in others. And, and I mean, yeah, modeling works, automated bidding works, that artificial intelligence, like being present on every auction obviously works. Um, you can't do that as a human. But as a human, you also have some, it's not intuition, I'm not, that's not the correct word. Um, but just as an example, we use automated bidding on one of our advertisers, right? $500 um, average card value. And, and, and what we want to do is get the highest return on ad spend, right? So you still need the clarity. If, if you just think that the algorithm um, is going to do everything for you, you're not squeezing like everything you can from that algorithm. So the algorithms first, you know how algorithms are created, right? If A equals one, then therefore do B. So for example, the, the, the main premise of the Google algorithm is spend budget. One of the things that we discovered three years ago with this client is like, if you give the algorithm a high budget and a high target return on ad spend goal, it will try to spend that budget because that's its first directive, let's call it. It's a Terminator. So the first directive is to spend the budget, but it has a constraint that it can only spend that budget if it gives you this high target return on ad spend. And for higher, uh, average card value brands that works out better because it will go for those people that are going to spend that type of money. Otherwise it can't spend your money. And because it really wants to spend your money because it's the first directive, it will actually perform better. And if you just give it like, um, let's call it normal budget with, with a regular target return on ad spend strategy. So by hiking both, you made the algorithm, like the greed of the algorithm, even though it doesn't have any feelings, uh, get you better customers. And that's something that, uh, you know, if you just let the machine do it, you, you wouldn't get those results. I remember, I remember one of our earliest podcasts, you talking about how to sort of like put that carrot in front of the machine to get it yeah. to optimize towards what you want. And I think that was really good insight. What is Performance Max? You may have talked about it on a previous podcast, but refresh me what Performance Max is. Okay, so smart shopping used to be like their, uh, you know, plug and play solution for e-commerce. That didn't really work out the way they, that uh, it didn't outperform regular shopping. So they came up with this new thing called Performance Max, which basically just grabs all of the Google properties, display, YouTube, merchant center, shopping, search, and you give it assets, kind of like what Taylor is saying. You give it video assets, display assets, uh, search assets, and a merchant center feed, and it just goes and looks for customers and that's it. It's a very black boxy still, like you don't get a lot of, so there's some branded in there, there's some retargeting. It probably leans a lot on branded and retargeting to learn kind of what we do. Like we always tell clients, right? You need to do branded so that your algorithm can learn who's your ideal customer. So the algorithm probably does that on its own. Like it goes and looks for branded, it looks for retargeting, gets those conversions so it can learn who the ideal people are so then that it can like, try and find non-branded, non-retargeting people. We're using it as like an add-on right now to add more revenue into the whole ecosystem. We've only seen it not work with one client. So far it has added revenue to most of our accounts without taking revenue away from branded. So branded has still done well or better after using Performance Max, but it's not like a just do Performance Max and just forget about it. 
but it, it is very oriented like you said like for i think a lot of the new products uh, especially on google i don't know facebook but a lot of the products on google are are made so that the average local business can do google advertising very easily and kind of like plug and play and and and, and spend 50 bucks a day or 20 bucks a day 10 bucks a day forever and ever not so much thought in the new development of products for for the like larger spend advertisers so but still can add incremental revenue when used judiciously yeah exactly very cool so i was yeah i was reading last week about the ai lambda where the uh, google engineer uh, had to take a psych leave because he thought that the ai was uh, sentient thought that was a really interesting news item so so maybe if the ai is sentient it'll really lock in those retargeting numbers it, it yeah. may try to turn us all into paper clips or something but our retargeting will be dialed <laughs> it's following directives Forget. it's all in the directives nice all right thanks for coming on today guys um you know if you're out there if you're listening it's time to really focus in on your first party data we talk about this all the time um, and it sounds like google's building out a whole suite of tools that allows you to use that first party data to enhance your tracking and it sounds like meta is getting on the train better late than never uh, i look forward to connecting with you taylor after meta has their way with uh, some of our media buyers it'd be great to get some feedback on what that process was like looking forward to it yeah and some just as a tip like make sure that you're adding your customer match lists make sure that you're transitioning into enhanced conversions uh, using data-driven conversion attribution, and then make sure that you're installing and getting analytics for running for your website like today. Amazing. And if you don't want to do all that, just call Saul up. Better call Saul and, uh, and Pilot House Google team will, will hook you up. Awesome. Nice. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.